0: Contra is friction. Contra is. Contra is nuanced. Contra Contra is is transgressive. Good trouble. Contra Contra is is collaborative. Contra is a podcast. Is a space for thinking about design critically. Contra is subversive. Contra is texture. Welcome to Contra, the podcast about disability, design justice, and the life world. This show is about the politics of accessible and critical design, broadly conceived, and how accessibility can be more than just functional or assistive. It can also be conceptual, artful, and world-changing. I'm your host, Amy Hamray. I'm a professor at Vanderbilt University, a designer and design researcher, and the director of the Critical Design Lab a multi-institution collaborative focused on disability, technology, and critical theory. Members of the lab collaborate on a number of projects focused on hacking ableism, speaking back to inaccessible public infrastructures, and redesigning the methods of participatory design, all using a disability culture framework. This podcast provides a window into the kinds of discussions that we have within the lab as well as the conversations that we're hoping to put into motion. So in coming episodes, you'll also hear from myself and the other designers and researchers in the lab, and we encourage you to get in touch with us via our website, www.mapping-access.com, or on Twitter at criticaldesignl. In this episode, we continue our two-part series with disability activist Alice Wong, has done incredible work with social media to strengthen connections between global disability communities. Alice is the founder of Crip the Vote and the Disability Visibility Project, which has its own wonderful podcast you should definitely check out. Alice also hosts Twitter chats and has recently published an edited collection called Resistance and Hope, Crip Wisdom for the People. Alice has been recognized as a notable activist by multiple organizations, most recently by Bitch Media's 50 Most Influential Feminists of 2018. She has also shaped federal disability policy through her work with the National Council on Disability. If you haven't already listened to the previous episode in which Alice and I discussed disabled people as tinkerers and makers, I strongly suggest going back to that to get an introduction. In this episode, which we're calling episode 4B, Alice and I pick up the thread from previous conversations to discuss the politics of the straw ban. We also touch on maker cultures, design research, and what it means to do truly inclusive design research with and by users. At the end of the episode, we discuss the promises of speculative fiction and helping us to imagine new worlds. Just as a note, in case you're listening to this with kids, there is some swearing in this episode. I am wondering if we can talk about the straw band a little bit in light of Why these not? Ideas. Why not? Um, because yeah. it seems like there's so many different levels of just design issues that come up around the straw band. One is, first of all, like, what the fuck? Why is this even a thing? Um, second, what is a good straw? Mm-hmm. Who designs a good straw and determines what it's made of, how flexible it is, like that kind of stuff. And then the third is something that I want to also, I want disabled people to talk more about, which is, what is how do we design sustainability? So if the issue is like straws are just a low-hanging fruit, like, they're kind of this arbitrary single-use plastic that was singled out, but it could have been something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and the problem is, like, our recycling systems and our systems of plastics production mm-hmm. and fossil fuel usage and stuff. Like, all at all of these different levels, how, what can crip wisdom and crip culture contribute to the conversation, do you think?
1: Mm-hmm. Wow, these are difficult, active deep questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I guess I would just start off with, like, you know, like you said with Strawberry, it's like, what WTF? It's like, you know, suddenly, you know, this thing that disabled people used every day that was available, readily accessible, with like the same thing as napkins and ketchup packets. Suddenly, oh, like this is like the Scarlet S, like, you know, like, how dare you use or have straws available? it's, it's been a really fascinating, you know, reframing of straws. I like suddenly they're the villains with the, you know, our consumer culture. Whereas, you know, what about packaging? What about all these other things that use P- plastic? Like, and I really do have to think. You know, I mean, I do have to like blame. Uh, you know, these environmental uh, who who just you know, really didn't have a well thought out sense of the consequences. You know, I think there was somebody named the uh, dude Ivans, uh, you know, she's one of the people that talked about the champion this you know, those straw campaign, and you know, she knew that the plastic straws were just this symbolic thing, this low fruit. And you wanted it to be this conversation starter. And, you know, that's all done with this intent of, you know, larger change in the future. But without any thought about how it would harm disabled people. And I think this is, again, you know they just didn't even think that. Disabled people are not only environmentalists who care about this, but that they also are the people who did them, but they're gonna be adversely impacted. And that's you know, what's so sad and unfortunate that it took the it took disabled people to really push back, you know, all social media because that's that's a place where we have very few you know, there's very few barriers in terms of having a platform to say what we want and to have that message amplified. So, you know, with these bands started coming out with Starbucks and Dallas, they were facing out straws by 2020, even though they have all sorts of packaging and all kinds of products. There's no you know, wrapped in plastic. And yet they got so many kudos did all these cookies all these, like, you know, corporate responsibility, social good ally cookies. It's a fast, I mean, it's just like, to me, the, the whole, like, hypocrisy. It was just, like, I think there was just such a, such a overwhelming, like, you know, sense of like, this is positive, this is great without any kind of sense of like, oh, let's think about this. You know, what are, what are going to be the impacts on people? I think that to me was really telling in terms of the power relations, right? Like, who gets to decide what we're going to focus on? Who gets to decide what is bad or what is good? You know, clearly disabled people are part of this, uh, Part of this framework in terms of, who gets to create what is seen as, you know, uh, something that we support. And I think that was really scary. It was like, you know, people I, you know, that I see on Twitter were, you know, disabled. You know, this past summer, spring, you know, just really being honest about, you know, plastic straws. It's just like their own you know, usage of, you know, products. Not disabled people were just, like, you know, attacking them right and left, just, you know, questioning their existence. Yeah. You know, I saw people say, say shit like, oh, you know, don't worry about the plastic bag because you should just bring your own or that, you know, you, you know, people should be okay. People will make exceptions. And, they, you know, the disabled people don't, like, it is already so hard to just exist in public spaces without any kind of interrogation or, you know, skepticism or, you know, the microaggressions, right, the sense that we're always faking in or just trying to get, you know, we're just scammers or just like trying to get some special privileges. Which is really accommodations. You know, this says that we're always going to be still under surveillance. we will always be at the mercy of people who feel entitled to the question of what we need. I think that's the thing that really alarmed me about these strong is the cultural think, message that's coming out is that your body mind, your way of functioning is not socially appropriate it's not socially environmentally responsible therefore you must acquiesce and conform to what like, this you know this new way of being because the greater good of saving the planet is more important than the way you survive. And that to me is I think the most, you know, disturbing and very much of a you know, a threat on our way of life. Yeah. And on our just right to just be in public. Because I think it's not an exaggeration in my mind to think about to think about the parallels uh straw like this, uh straw bands and things like the ugly laws. Mm-hmm. Because it's really think about it's really about disciplining certain behaviors and certain activities in public. Right? It's really I think that's it's really that exaggeration. Think about this, the way we live is about in a way repulsive, it's not attractive, it's not, it's not healthy, right? Like this quote, healthy, right? That our, our needs are asking for too much. And that we're be unreasonable. And that they would be wasteful. And those are all the kind of moral kind of value things. They're all placed on plastic. And, you know, plastic wasn't seen that way in the past. And I think, you know, I understand, I understand the need to, you know, uh, to reduce deception. But I find it just, you know, it's such an easy thing to to place this responsibility on the individual versus the larger forces at play that really are the ones that really drive plastic pollution. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a lot more difficult for uh governments and corporations to tackle, right? Mm-hmm. They don't want to think about larger systemic changes versus you know changing individual behavior. Yeah, I totally the agree. Thing is that either or well I'm just saying that this is a, you know, this overwhelmingly positive, you know, uh, positive support for straw very in various cities. You know, it's, it's always been like pretty much overwhelmingly easily passed these ordinances. And I think again, this is where, you know, it's just thoughts. It's an easy fix to a much more complicated problem. I think Anytime you have these kind of bands, they're so absolutist, you're inevitably going to harm people, whether you see it or not. And I think that's where, you know, I feel this tension is that, you know, suddenly there are these, are sort of ways to fix these bans. You know, sometimes there are these exceptions where now disabled people um, have to request straws as a way to get around this ban. And that to me itself is like, is very problematic. Well, yes, these exceptions are better than nothing at all. It's gonna really be interesting because what does it mean to be, to have to self-identify, say, I need a plastic straw within this new culture of anti-straws, right? This, you know, what does it mean to say? It's almost like, you know, which are trying to accommodations, right? Like mm-hmm. self-disclosure, right? But before you didn't need to, disclose They use of the plastic straws because they were available. But now we have to disclose, we need one within this, you know, within, within this environment where you just want to go out with your friends and have a beer or have a latte? And you know, what does that mean to have to like self identify? to what other people don't have to self-identify. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's the, that's the thing that I think most non-disabled people, like they don't even see that as problematic, right? That, well, you should be glad that they will still be available, you know? What's the big deal if you don't request them? Shouldn't you just be glad that that are there at all. And I think that's, that's a busy piece. I think the, you know, the sociological aspect, that's, you know, this, how does that mark us socially, when we're already marked in so many ways, right? It just adds to this layer of, you know, this amount of vapor that we have to produce. To this emotional labor of just having to be at their mercy. I think that to me is always, you know, the the, the crushing, kind of soul grinding aspect of living in this world that was really never designed for us. And that's such, you know, yeah. Um.
0: So two things that came to mind when you were talking, questions I had were, how do we apply ideas about disabled people as tinkers to the straw ban? Um, And you may have some thoughts about this. I think that you are, are you on like an advisory board or something like that for San Francisco thinking through the straw ban?
1: Uh, I was just kind of uh, really a really annoyed person that was involved in that just you know, attend or be part of their stakeholder beliefs as they were working through the amendment, and I, you know, sent like feedback, like presented feedback to to my representative at the committee that was in charge of the amendment. I think I was probably just their unofficial to ass that you know really if I annoyed them to death. But um, yeah, I wasn't involved in there. I'm not on an advisory committee, but. Definitely I followed the, uh, the, the, uh, their kind of attempts, uh, to their horses.
0: So, I mean, within that context or any other context, can you think of a way that, um, ideas about disabled people as like tinkers could better inform this debate? Hmm. Well, I mean,
1: I think the idea at least, if I like the ideas, like, I think the amendments in terms of, you know, getting involved in, like, political participation and making sure that we tinker with their draft amendments, I think that's definitely what I would do as well. I observed that I also participated in, you know, again, you know, we have this model of nothing without us, nothing about us without us. And these drop are a great example of the opposite of that, you know, that these things were done totally without us, yet they were about us. And do uh, you see how, you know, not only governments, but other you know, corporation entities are just like, Play like catch up, right? Like they're doing, oh, okay, we see, you know, all these groups are really upset. What do we do? Okay, we'll just have these, you know, community forums. We'll just, you know, get the feedback and, you know, what should I do? You know, to do a do over. So in San Francisco, there was an order passed very recently this year that. You know, thanks to a lot of people at a local level that really, you know, said, Hey, hold on, you know, like, hold up. This is like that's this is not cool. you uh the language within your order is, is incredibly fake. Oh, your exception. So they're like, okay. So they held two uh community stakeholder meetings and you know they also shared after those meetings, you know, a draft but and we were able to also give feedback. So I think that in the sense, uh, was where the Tinkering took place. Uh, I should give you an example of, you know, supposedly they took our feedback. You know, we got to tell our stories. We explained why, you know, we did these things. And yet they still produced a draft of Bitbit. Get this. In the original draft of Bitbit, they were gonna say in San Francisco, the sales of plastic straws had to be reorganized into the health aisle. So they, were, they wanted to re Straws. So any, you know, shop that sold plastic straws in San Francisco had to be in the medical or health aisle. That was their, that was part of their abettment. I mean, they actually thought they could get away with this. And I was just like, after listening to the community, like that was part of their benefits, and I was like, Holy shit! Like, were they not even listening? Were they just, you know, and then so you know, I wrote this letter, and I did, I think other folks did as well. But you know, that is just the whole level of like re-biblicalizing us again, again right? It is just like. We are bored than just that, you know, and I need to, to recategorize straws as a medical device, even though that was kind of, you know, the very early history, it did serve that purpose, but that was a much more, you know, broader purpose. Um, I thought that was a real step by So, you So, know, you know, I wrote my letters, other people wrote the letters. And they removed that from their amendments. So I think that's what I saw in terms of is that we did have the space to give that input before the amendment was actually up. Uh, I'm not sure what the status is now, but at least that part of the amendment was removed. And thankfully, that's you know, really from disabled people saying that's not. That's that's just like horrible. You know that's just like ableist as fuck. You know it's just like yeah. So that to me it was like again. You know like people want to listen. People say they're gonna listen, but it's really interesting to see what they what they take from their listening, and what they actually the end results are because. Again, if, you, if we didn't have that, if we didn't push for the chance to get feedback before the actual amendment was finalized, that would have been in there, mm. and they could have still said, oh, we still have these community stakeholder events, and they still should have these, like, you know, this lip service and go to the motion of doing outreach, what they really should have done outreach. Way earlier, right? That's the whole like catch-up game. This whole like, you know, public relations aspect. So that to me is really interesting as well. That you know they want to cover their asses and say they they did due diligence. But if sometimes the end result, there's there's no trying to do stuff that they want. But you know, because we said we want to have this opportunity to give a bit of feedback if we want to see a draft before it goes up to the Board of Supervisors we had that chance a take mm. and they were at least able to get the consensus that oh, okay, we able to stick this out so yeah. that's a place, I guess
0: definitely it reminds okay. me of um, something I wrote about in the conclusion of my book which was when BART, Bay Area Rapid Transit, was introducing their new train cars and the initial version was totally inaccessible and they were just gonna like roll it out. And then Mm -hmm. a bunch of disability activists said, uh, no, here's Mm -hmm. like the, you know, 10 reasons why this doesn't work. And it Mm -hmm. forced them to have a whole bunch more design prototyping um, mm-hmm. around like space and seats and the height of handles and all those things. and But then at the end of that, you know, whatever cart gets rolled out, it's just going to look like it was accessible all along. And so that mm-hmm. process part is not always totally evident. Um, mm-hmm. And that's kind of how disabled people's contributions get forgotten too, that there's so much work that goes into fixing this thing that (laughs) folks knew was going to be broken if it was produced um and doing that like unpaid labor of fixing the broken things so that it doesn't make things worse Mm -hmm. and then at the end it just like looks like you know everything was fine all along
1: but the bar bar, 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 engineers are brilliant yeah
0: they're they're, the best ergonomists
1: you know, they just got it totally right. Because in the end, our dates are never going to be associated with that process. They mm-hmm. you are know, just like the strawberries. I like think that's, there's a benefit, you know, none of our days that, of the people that actually helped improve the amendments to ever be credited with it, because in the end, it's really about the politicians to, you know, sponsor those bills, to put those bills into action. And I You know, again, this is where time and time again, you know, marginalized communities are the ones with the vision and the foresight to say, hey, this is not cool. They're the ones with the burden of educating people. Again, this happens a time and time again. I think that's another kind of a you know, layered idea about our experience is not seen as expertise or that our expertise is just not seen as within professional context. Yeah. And I think that's what's really, you know, I can't just chasm, right? This very, we need your help, but yet we're not going to pay you or we're not we're not going to credit you to the end. And yet, you know, so many of us do this because we know the end results. We have to do something, right? And sometimes there's a real, you know, tension or bargain, from right? The trade offs. But like I know I'm going to be, there's many more times that I want talking about, the you know, classic straws. I did not you know, want to do this at all this summer. And here I am doing this, and, you know, I do this because I know we have to do this, because otherwise, we're going to let non-disabled people you know, have total control over it. And, you know, that's that's worse to be this the fact that if we just, you know, receive, you know, any sort of ownership over it. I think that that's part of the, you know, the inherent power, power dynamics. Is that though know, we are assisting? Harder, you know, harder role with this. The way that our contributions may not be, you know. But at the end, you know, this is for us. This is for our future. This, is, you know, this will have an impact whether we, we get credited or not. And mm-hmm. I think that's what people do in terms of, you know, love for their communities, love for their people,
0: right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, so one of the things I'm wondering is how um crip knowledge and tinkering could be applied to the problem of changing the system around this so it could be like the industrial systems the pollution um, like the the real sources of ocean pollution or the real sources of climate catastrophe Mm -hmm. um you know what do disabled people say about that? And what mm-hmm. are some of the things that um our knowledge can contribute to changing those conversations so that we're not just like having this straw band debate next week about plastic forks or you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like what are what are some of the ways that we can uh challenge or even like lend our labor towards challenging those broader systems? I guess, uh, I think, you know, some of the, you know, most
1: important things I've seen is just, you know, identify the problems. I think that's where a lot of to, you know, this is in terms of just, even just, you know, calling it out in terms of, hey, you know, this is more about you know, systemic problems versus this individual problem. I think that, in itself, was incredibly valuable. And I think also calling for, or clarify that, you know, disabled people want better options, you know. But until until those who have the means of designing and creating a sustainable class Plastic like the alternative. Mm-hmm. tells a new product that has the same functionality to have a plastic straw. We're still going to use plastic straws, so I think this is where you know we can be seen as we can be you know, utilized as you know really strong kind of allies with the scientists, the designers who want to do this to say, hey, we want to be orders with you. I created better things. I think you know it's not to say like for these like plastic goblets. <laughs> you want know, to use them. I think you know that's a misunderstanding is that is that there is a need for something do that's not PLA because PLAs still not, to see it as a better alternative. But it's really not, and I think that's another thing that we're articulating, the nuances of the kind of limitations and shortcomings of, for example, cordly, mm-hmm. straws, you know, organic-based straws that are, you know, not good for some disabled people yeah. with food allergies. And there's, you know, so many reasons why, you know, current alternatives don't work for some disabled people. So in a lot of ways, we are carving out and demarcating, like, this is why these things don't work. This is why we do a new thing, you know, really conceptualizing, a new thing that needs to be created, that doesn't have these uh, limitations that are currently available. So, I do think that there's a huge, you know, niche or, you know, space, opportunity that disabled people should really be partners in design. They're partners at the very outset. That there's a conceptualizing this new non plastic alternative that's better than all of the existing you know, quote, quote, sustainable biodegradable ones. Mm. Because, truly, you know, the things that are out there, the alternatives may work for some people, but they may not work for a broader range of people. Yeah. And I think that's what's really great about disabled people, is that we often have personal theories did our deeds uh, that we cover a lot of bases. Mm-hmm. Years you know, of like twelve will I will not work. Did all of that kind of knowledge can be hardest integrating something that's much more universal, hopefully. Even though I think that's more of a you know, idealized goal it's ever gonna be. There is no, you know, what what they that's one way to rule the ball you know, there's yeah. Like, yeah. There is no what, you know yeah, uh, bullets, bullets. but I do think that now that there's, I hate to say it, but like now that there is a, you know, market demand, you know, I think of a better alternative, that there are going to be, hopefully, industrial designers and engineers. To look into that as this this big thing. And hopefully, you know, disabled people are going to be part of that process because we were the ones to really point out the shortcomings of the existing products. So that's kind of my hope. But again, you know, I think there's such a, a divide in terms of those who create. It technology versus those who really uh, live it that are able to articulate what's good and bad about the existing the, the user, you know, the whole, like the user experience versus those who actually create. I think that's you know, also still this a really interesting relationship, because sometimes, you know, the user experience is seen as, oh, it's important, but it's not, you know, it's not going to be thought of as from the very, mm-hmm. from the very beginning, this ground stage, yeah. right? I think that's where, like, you know, the ones who are going to be the engineers, designers are going to always end up, you know, calling the shots if there's like the changes and the innovations. Well, the user experience side will enhance it, but are they ever going to be, you know, equal partners in this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that to me is also the other thing about technical science that's really fascinating is that, we did have more people who are on the designer side, who are also the users, right? Yes. Who are also ultimately going to be impacted, right? You
0: know, Where are disabled materials engineers and, you know, people with corn allergies who can design a better plastic straw?
1: I, I want to see that. I, you know, I think there's I'd like to see that. I really think those who know the system's best are the ones who are most equipped to really make the changes. But right now, the way the United States are, you know, those with, who have that cultural capital, who are in those positions of power, are still these inner able-bodied folks who just designed for those who are the most in the center. Mm. So I think there's still, you know, a lot of adults because it's really up to it's up to all of us. We're all you know involved in this. But like sometimes I think the responsibility like does provide for the ones who the most you know privilege to think about oh who are we not thinking about? Who are we not Are we deciding for 90% of the population or a hundred percent? And what are the, what are the things that they need to give up in order to really make that happen? Mm -hmm. And I think that's the, that's the crux. It's like people who are willing to share their space and share what they have. In order to create something that's really, really going to be better, but I think again that, that that takes people to acknowledge right Like their their own kind of areas that they don't have, they don't have any you know authority over. And I think that's really hard to do for a lot of people mm-hmm. to admit that they still have the expertise in some areas while people with disabilities they have so much expertise. There's so much of uh, wanting to be involved, wanting to participate. I mean, I think sometimes people you know, over and over, we are here. You know, we are here, you know, available, and just wanting to engage. So I think sometimes it's a two-way street. You know, it's not always on us to tell people that we're available, but it's on other people to also, you know, recognize their privilege and say, hey, what are some places, where are some people that really should be part of this process? What are we not doing right that yeah, we could do better? So.
0: I was remembering that your piece for Catalyst begins with this incredible speculative fiction kind of introduction, um, and it's imagining this future in which disabled people survived the apocalypse and the straw ban. And I was thinking, I've been thinking a lot, actually, I spent a lot of time thinking about like, oh, how did we get there? Of like what kinds of things happened? And one of the things that in happened in my mind, this is my speculation, was um, that disabled inventors Like a a broad group of disabled inventors got together and produced a new plastic that worked better for everybody, and that that scaled through the whole system. And so all the single use plastics were replaced with this new substance. Um, And then at the same time that disabled people continued their environmental activism and activism against like militarism, you know, I was thinking about. the history of disabled people doing anti-nuclear activism, which is climate change activism uh, as well, even though people didn't think about it that way necessarily in the 80s, Um, and continuing to do those things so that there's like this politicized element, uh, protesting industrial pollution Mm -hmm. and the invention element. And in your story, like the apocalypse still happened, because actually apocalypses are happening every day for people of color, for indigenous people, for lots of people around the world, and of course, disabled people, um, and still people survived. And I just, I, f- I feel like I want to like ask a whole bunch of people to write the those transition stories, you know? Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, again, it's like, the no matter of what kind of future, the future or present that we're living in. You know, one thing that's always going to be, you know, constant throughout is that we're always going to be tinkering, right? No matter what happens, no matter how shitty this gets, you know, within the most, you know, oppressive climates, the one thing that's really just so. You know, beautiful and just so, uh, I guess I don't want to say miraculous, but like, so like what you speak always, the sense that we are always going to be on the edges, always going to be, the ones to really see things way before other people see things. Because we live on the intersections and we live on the marches. And I think those who are on the outside on the edges are always the ones who see things, the future, and the consequences of things that most people in the center have, you know, no ideas about. So that's me, you know, no matter how like pessimistic sometimes I am, towards skeptical about the future, I think. It gives me hope that you know, I know that within the most dire, for the most dire of social circumstances, disabled people are always finding ways to survive and thrive—not just survive, but just thrive as well. So,
0: yeah, that gives me hope. Yeah. And I'll just shout out um, the Disability Visibility Project's anthology, Resistance and Hope, uh, which is amazing and exists in an um, audio format on the website as well. So. Yeah. Oh, thank
1: you for that. Yeah, I think that's, you know, this uh, twin ideas of, you know, resistance and activism, but also this idea that, you know, no matter how How bleak they seem. Like, the reason why we keep doing this is because we do this in the hope of a better future and we do this out of love. And I think that's what's really, you know, carries us forward as to people that, you know, we do these things for love of one another. And that's really powerful. Exterior. The campfire at a moonless night. A wizard, Asian American future user wrapped in a shawl tells a story to children gathered by the flickering light. There was a day when plastic straws, plastic bit these straws, straws by the pack, did individually wrapped from the earth. Do some use it for booba? Others for their ice trophy. Access was everywhere. And then there were the bears. The bears said plastic was bad. The bears make plastic straws disappear. The bears yes. wanted to create a gateway to do zero waste. The bears intended to remove single use disposables from this planet. Bands, keep cities big and small, from Seattle to San Francisco, school. from companies like Starbucks. Celebrities praise the hashtag stuff-sucking campaign with the fervor of fornicating sea turtles. Out of the internets, oozing for buck and dumpster fires, arose the hashtag A ableism. Disabled people telling their stories on social media. These two tags of hash were in an epic narrative battle over the right to be disabled in public wholly and apologetically. With each story and selfie, disabled people created culture, knowledge, and visibility against an ableist tsunami of interrogation, to disbelief, to dismissal. The camera pans the children, spellbound by the tail, to their eyes wide in terror and fear. From the west, a dust storm sweeps due the camp, extinguishing the fire, As the children and old wheelchair user to retreat to a cave nearby. Interior cave. The, the wizard storyteller coughs, continuing her story. <laughs> like canaries in a cave by, the disabled ones said, We need plastic straws to drink for nutrition and hydration. Do we deserve access without request? Exemptions by the non-disabled cannot protect us. And, like this holy wind, the voices of disabled people were drowned out as accessibility was sacrificed for a zero-waste life, not knowing the value of single-use plastics that would save the human race post-plague. Now we search high and low for straws to first aid and other plastics, to stay alive while the aliens strayed, to create more of our kind every day. To we, the disabled ones, to add stockpiles for our survival, to the soft ones, to also do as the not disabled. To wither away their hip bandages, dead pasta straws. We are still here, fighting for everyone. What is the lesson but little woods? all the children reciting his innocence against the backdrop of a big shift clinic. Believe disabled people! Sounds of a wolf howling.
0: You've been listening to Contra, a podcast about disability, design justice, and the life world. Contra is a production of the Critical Design Lab. Kevin Gottkin, Amy Hamray, Cassandra Hartplay, Maggie Mang, Jera Mosh, and Leah Samples. Follow us on Twitter at Critical Design L and learn more about our projects at www.mapping-access.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. The Contra podcast is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share alike, international 3.0 license. That means you can remix, repost, or recycle any of the content as long as you aren't making money, you don't change the credits, and you share it under the same license.